Today, we are thrilled to talk with a person we can confidently call the opposite of the ghost bros we ranted about on the last two episodes. Mortician, British traditional witch, author, and high priestess of the Coven of Leaves. Mortellis's amazing first book is called Do I Have to Wear Black? It's out now on Llewellyn. It is truly one of the best books that I've read in years. We'll talk to them a lot more about that and more of their work and fascinating life as a last responder. I'm SJ. I do what I want. And I'm Andrea. And so do I. Welcome to Two Witches. Mojo and Emily, and to you, weird listener, for joining us for another shot of Brick Mojo. And thanks, of course, to the wonderful Mortellis, who is here today to tell us about their work as a mortician, coven leader, and last responder. Mortellis, you are, I think, the busiest person that I know. You have more titles and hats than anybody that I know. I am a busy person. I don't know. I think fun facts about me. I've never been to elementary school, middle school, or high school. I don't have a diploma. I don't have a GED, but I have four college degrees. That's the whole story. That's incredible. Doesn't surprise me. That's how they are. But I grew up with uh, these parents who really felt that women, and and I was a son female at birth, shouldn't have an education. So my big middle finger to you will be, I will learn everything. And what are you going to do about it? So I'm that sort of dark. Yeah. I love that. Working as a mortician and a funeral director seems like it could be pretty stressful, especially during this last year we've had with COVID. So how are you doing with all of that? I will say to you what I say to everyone, working implies I draw a paycheck or, or I'm in any way credible whatsoever. I had the misfortune of graduating mortuary school right at the beginning of 2020, right at the beginning. And ordinarily what you do is you go off to a nice cozy apprenticeship or residency or whatever, and then you get your licensing and go on with your life. But it was sort of all hands on deck. It was like, um, we need literally everybody right now. So I found myself volunteering for the Department of Health and Human Services, for DMORT, for the Medical Reserve Corps, and just sort of floating everywhere. And that's been my life ever since. I've, um, that's incredible. As a clergy person, I've been working with families for funerals and home burials for years, but I, I sort of have to be really careful about defining those areas and sort of what I'm doing as one person or the other. It's weird to have so many identities, I guess, and have to compartmentalize what any of them are, but yeah, it can be stressful. You're right. Mortuary work is so difficult that we have our own like mental health problem (laughs) yeah it's called funeral director's fatigue uh, which is a type of compassion fatigue where you're constantly processing grief you're constantly dealing with grieving families you always have to be in that headspace so you know it gets to be too much sometimes yeah i can i can imagine that absolutely yeah it takes a special person too i think i don't know about that you think you have to be like a masochist Well, we all we all kind of can relate to that a little bit in our own <laughs> lives. So, you know, like, oh, yes, let's, let's do a podcast on synchronicity. This will be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. We wanted to jump down the rabbit hole at first, and now we're just in the rabbit hole. Right. and Trying to find your way out. Yeah, oh, sometimes right. we're climbing our way out of the rabbit hole. Totally. But even for one of the things we've talked about just venting is for last responders, some of the things that you could call like the silver linings of the plague, like DoorDash. 
don't exist for you. Like, nobody wants to drop off DoorDash at the funeral home. You can't even get fed when you're there taking care of all of our people. It's some serious bullshit, and I hate it. A friend was bemoaning the other day. She lives about an hour from me and was talking about how she'd ordered takeout. And it's after dark, right? It's the evening. As it tends to be when a person wants to consume food. And uh, when they realized what the address was, they were already on their way and they realized what the address was and went, no. (laughs) Finally, she convinced them to like park across the street or something. She walked over to get her food, but they didn't even want to like touch her. They didn't want her to touch their car. (laughs) So, wow. And that is why your work is so important because death is going to happen to every single living thing on this planet and there's so much fear around it and it's monetized and that is the main purpose of your book is taking some of that shit back and giving it to us right you started talking about the pandemic and the differences and how people are treated i think for a lot of people they don't realize that mortuary workers death care workers we are healthcare. yeah uh, we have to study all the same kind of things that you know nurses and doctors and whatnot have to learn. We have to be surgeons. I mean, that's a huge part of what we do. But during the pandemic, we find ourselves in situations where it's like, yes, you're healthcare, but we've decided you're this new thing that's class B. Just you're right below you're right below these people. So it's like, we need you to volunteer. Please come to New York and help us. But also, could you buy your own plane ticket and your own food and find somewhere to sleep? I saw people wearing like trash bags for PPE with bandanas wrapped around their face. No food going on like four and five and six days of no sleep or sleeping on trays in the mortuary because there was nothing and meanwhile, that's super depressing when you're like 10 feet from like somebody catering the nurses in the same building and you're like, yeah. you guys suck. Yeah. You guys suck so much. That's messed up. Like the infrastructure of this entire country fell apart. But the ugly quote stuff is the stuff that people don't want to think about. What happens when your family doesn't make it out of the hospital? Right. You know, and that's just as important. And we've all had experiences like this. And if you haven't had loss in your family, you may not have had it to need compassionate and knowledgeable providers like Mortalis in the past. But we need more of them. And we need them now. Yeah. Yesterday. I found myself saying a lot during the pandemic that the front line was kind of a circle. And, you know, death care workers had to be standing right behind that doctor to catch you if you fell through the gaps. Yeah, that was what we were there for. And I get comments sometimes from people like, well, why do you need PPE? Because they're, well, they're dead. They're not going to cough on you. And it's like, I have to aspirate their lungs and carry them around. I'm in their face. They can still infect me. Yeah. (laughs) And you're going home to your own family, which includes a pair of Uh twins. Yeah. Toddlers. Yes. You have a life outside of work. Someone said to me once, no, no shit to my face. Why do you need equipment, you know? And after explaining that I could be infected, they said, well, you signed up for that kind of work. So you knew what to expect. I was like, what the fuck about doctors? Basic (laughs) human empathy, people. (laughs) I'm immunocompromised and in the vaccine trials for you, you turd. (laughs) Yeah, really. That's awful. I'm so sorry. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah, that's awful. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. People yep. are absolutely worse. Forgive yeah. me for being punchy about it. I, oh, no. It's, oh, it's, well, if you don't, you have to kind of process that and, and at least put that in a lighter situation, kind of contain it somewhere that you can right. laugh on it a little bit because it's actually horrible. 
it, it was absolutely horrible. Yeah. So like, that's like day job number one, right? Like how you feed yourself or try to feed your family. And then you go home to your kids, you know, you get a call at any time. You're writing your next book for Llewellyn. You're a high prick sex for your own coven. Um, you make your own candles, ritual supplies, in your spare time. You volunteer for Special Olympics. Like, what are we forgetting here? <laughs> oh, let's see. What else? Sleep? Do I do? I... <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But we none of us sleep. We know that. I do special effects makeup for, like, crappy B-movies because it's totally fun. Love it. I ran away and joined a carnival when I when I first ran away from home. I was in a carnival for 10 years, so I did oh that. Oh, my God, I love it. And I still go face paint for carnivals and stuff and for the children's hospital and whatnot. Awesome. I, I'm a stenographer, a notary public. I'm an ad litem for District 29 here in North Carolina. Um, everything, I do all the stuff. If there's something I don't, it find me eventually. <laughs> so think about that when you guys, um, you know, go out and talk to a cashier or, you know, a person at the funeral home or a person at the hospital. And you think that, you know, oh, they're just doing their job and they go home. No, they might have other shit going on. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Life. They have life going on. Like all of us, all of us have stuff. Go- anyway, it just makes me crazy that people have no idea how much work you do. And this is aside from the other stuff that you do. You work with crime families and murder victims to try to help put their families at rest too like it never stops for you the amount of emotional labor that you pump out is constant i feel like i do have to say something just so that your listeners know what uh you were talking about day jobs i've never made a single penny of income doing death care work ever i don't have any sort of traditional employment in that field it's something i do because i'm either volunteering or doing it as clergy being a gardenarian, I don't make a single penny for teaching. That's very much against our tenants. Most of the things I do, I give away. So my income is my web store mostly. So remember that if you're thinking about shopping later. Yes. <laughs> but- yes. Go to Mortellus's shop. And yes, you could get their book on Amazon or any, any, any place that you want to be. You can buy it direct from them too. And they'll even sign it for you and send it to you. So if you're thinking about buying their book, they're having a wonderful book club. Which with me. So buy Do I Have to Wear Black? Buy it through their website. It is an amazing book. And we're going to get all into why. So, um... I have a lot of just sort of random antiques. It, it's just sort of a byproduct of all the stupid places I find myself. I rarely charge families for anything I'm doing. So sometimes it's like, take this thing or whatever. So I just have goofy stuff. And there's a tiny little museum locally. And they have some of my stuff just on display. It's just this little place. And I knew I had a brick mold that I had sent over there years ago. Totally forgotten about. And I was looking through my email to try and find a picture of it. Um, it is a hidden mold. Where the fuck did you get it? Do you know how hard those are to find? And it's yours. And I have possessed this thing for nearly 20 years. What the actual fuck? Whoa. You tell us. Whoa, I just got the goods. <laughs> no way. Either six or eight. I can't remember. It's do like you a... know I would sell my kidney for that bitch? <laughs> How the fuck do you have it? Somebody gave it to you? Yes, years ago. Yeah. Well, um. Wow. Cool. You have a really cool old hidden brick that probably was made in it now. Because the one I sent you was pre-1904. So depending on what your mold looks like, I'd be able to tell by looking at it. Because they have different fonts. I'm that fucking nerd. You know. <laughs> 
I will go over there at some point and try and pull a photo for you and see if they want to continue keeping it on display or if I can take it back. But that is insane. Uh, I can't remember six or eight slots, but it's wooden, of course. Six. So, yeah. And it has the little, um, almost like a lead insert in it with the lettering. Yeah. I- <laughs> I'm, I don't even yeah, know I'm a little stunned, that. actually. One of those weird synchronicities, I guess, and I just didn't think about it. By the way, Mortellus is in fucking North Carolina, okay? And we're in Washington State. Yeah. Which is where the um, hidden bricks were made. Kind of an interesting anecdote. My parents are not nice people. We're not friends. I always want to preface any words about them with that. But um, my father's a, a horologist. He's a watch, watch and clockmaker. And he deals in antiques, so he does a lot of estate sales and things. So as a kid, I was around a lot of people and places, collectors and stuff. So I wound up hitting adulthood with quite a few just like weird things. I'm still kind of just like, (laughs) I'm not quite sure what to say. (laughs) I thought I was at the point where nothing could surprise me anymore. I really did. I was like, you know what? My life is a fucking Da Vinci Code movie come to life. It's absurd. I feel insane about half the time. Like anything could happen. But that is not something that I ever expected. Life is weird. And the thing with Mortellus is like, I hired them, you know, to do some work because I heard them on The Void. And I was like, I need to hire them. Like Andrea and I was like, I need to know you. I need to know you. It was the same shit. I'm intense. I'm a lot. And I was just like, you hired them. I know you want to be their best friend. I know you think they're the coolest person in the whole world. You need to calm the fuck down. And then like, Mortellus was like, so are you going to invite me on the podcast? So like, you realize we're friends now? So like, and I'm just like, oh my God, I love you so much. Now they have a fucking hidden fucking brick mold that they had before you know i even lived in this fucking town no big deal 20 years ago and isn't that kind of how it goes to like i think when you're sort of connected like that to the universe you just you're a magnet for stuff that is sort of passing through your life i'll bring something home right like from a yard sale or whatever and that's not a thing i do often i just picked it as an example but i'll bring something in and my spouse will be like so is this ours are you just holding it for someone you don't know yet for 10 years that's it i do that same shit too but there is this phenomenon of those of us that are kind of in this liminal things where we just past things like that i think and i feel like maybe you were like a guardian of this brick mold like who anybody else on the planet would have just like chucked it it would have been in the chuck pile instead of sitting in a museum just waiting for 20 years so you meet some random person that's obsessed with this shit going hey you know what i know where one of those is you could go touch it visit it even so do you want to talk about the coven of leaves and what you do there sure the coven of leaves is a bunch of like dorky chuckleheads i've collected from where <laughs> chuckleheads i love are it. we chuckleheads i love that <laughs> everybody has this sort of picture of gardnerian wicca as being like very stodgy and sort of rigid and wizardy yeah right yeah right that is not true in my house at least <laughs> most gardnerians i know are just huge dorks we play D for homework for example that's the kind of stuff my coven does but yeah i get a ton of seeker letters probably somewhere between 70 and 100 a week and I uh, have nine people that over time I have gone, you though, and none of them were people who asked me. Yeah. None of them. It's like you. I think you should be here. Oh, <laughs> I love no. it. Join. My job is to teach the tradition, pass it on, make a new generation of Gardnerians. We're sort of lineage like that. But um, 
I think we get to decide what the next generation looks like. And for me, I want that to be a bunch of just nerdy queers, I guess. Because that's oh, yes. <laughs> nice. where I live. Perfect. It's definitely not easy being a non-binary person in a binary craft, especially when you're dealing with sort of what is classically perceived as a fertility cult, goddess, god, all that kind of stuff. People are always confused as to why I would choose it or how I fit in it, but I do. And I would be happy to talk to anyone about that who wants to write me emails and complain that I'm ruining Wicca. <laughs> awesome. Queer witches, talk to more, tell us. Yep. They'll set you straight for sure. Yeah. Don't be sending nasty emails. No. I named the coven after a quote from a book called House of Leaves, which everyone who hears that, who hasn't heard of it, will be tempted to go buy it. It will ruin you. You shouldn't do that. And that's exactly why I know that you will. <laughs> uh, there's a quote that says this world of ours is like a house of leaves moments before the wind and uh, that sort of resonated with me this coven is just sort of a moment in the history of the craft uh, in, the, in the history of the occult we're all just sort of this fleeting experience and we should remember that we're temporary and remember that the wind will eventually sweep us away with time and I want people to look for the beauty in the temporary. I love that. You have a really unique insight to that quote, I think. We talked a little bit about how I met Mortalis, and that was through Shell, who hosts The Eternal Void, but with jazz. And um, you went on there and you talked about your wonderful book with Llewellyn, Do I Have to Wear Black? And essentially, on Shell's show and in the beginning of the book, you spilled your guts about how you had a crap childhood that was even worse than mine and how it was a little bit of an initiation to the weird. And if they want to hear your story, they should buy your fucking book and read it, number one. <laughs> and number two, they could go to Shell's show and listen to it if they want to. But basically, you went to the underworld and the Morrigan came for you, correct? Yes. I will say a couple things. One, thank you for not making me tell it again. It seems all the hearts to every podcast I've ever been on, but people love for me to tell that story. I don't know why the world likes a trauma dome. One and done, yeah. man. Like you oh, did it. It's so hard. Yeah. Um, I would also like to say, I don't like to play the worst game, right? Like this thing was worse than that thing. Yeah. My therapist told me something really useful once. I was talking to them about having a hard time connecting with someone because they were telling me this story that was really traumatic to them and it sounded stupid to me it was just why is this bad i don't get it <laughs> zero stars right no goblins <laughs> i was just gonna say that. <laughs> One star, no goblins. and my therapist was like you have to look at this a different way if the worst thing that ever happened to you in your in entire life was getting into a fender bender it is still your worst good point if my worst was something really extreme and horrible they're they're still equal right yeah the pain right. is still equal yeah my takeaway from, from them telling me that was to learn to have a lot more compassion but also to be happy for people instead of going that is stupid and I don't understand it I now go I'm so glad that's the worst thing that's ever happened to them right. like I just I reprogrammed it in my head and so much of that is that's so important because you know people be oh it's toxic positivity or emotional bypassing bullshit it's mental health and that gives me a place to sort of find compassion for someone. I can empathize with them better if I go, this experience is the worst thing they've ever had. Therefore, it is equivalent to this thing that happened to me. And I can understand how they feel. I don't have to measure them against each other. Right. Totally. 
Yeah, that's a great way of looking at that. It's been really helpful to me. But to your actual question, yeah, I, uh, stuff happened. I was five years old. Some really bad things happened. And I decided that the right course of action was to just not be on this planet anymore. So that is not something you think about little kids thinking about. But this one did too. Hey, suicide statistics for children are, they're very real. So uh, listen to little kids when they're yeah. talking to you. So here I was. In reality, I was in a coma for four days and I died for seven or eight minutes on the table while they tried to revive me. But the in-between was this whole experience of catabasis or descending into the underworld. A lot of people talk about when they die, they see, a, they see a tunnel or they see a light at the end. That was absolutely not my experience at all. It was sort of like falling downward forever. Once again, I have told that story far more eloquently in much more words on a hundred other things. So yep. please go check those out. Yeah. Yes. Enjoy. But the thing about it is that, you know, you're so fucking humble about what you do versus these people that get on TV and get paid way too much money to be sassy and wear their scarves and, you know, whatever. And yet you're like, oh, yeah, just a little bit of me is still dead. No big deal. I grew up in the dirt, hungry and poor uh, with people hitting me for fun. And I'm terrible at a lot of stuff. And I'm very self-aware of that, <laughs> you know? Maybe they're awesome and have earned their scarves and lattes or whatever. No judgment unless you are uh, taking advantage of people. And then we have a problem. Indeed. Uh -huh. Yep. Anybody that's listening, I say this to everybody everywhere I go. If you want to take a class I'm offering, you want to listen to one of my old workshops, you need a service I offer, you need mediumship, you need help with a cold case, you want a reading and you can't afford it, you just tell me and you can have that. There's always a donate link on my website if you want to support. Or if you got something out of it and it felt important to you, you can always go backward. But it's important to me that people have their experiences sort of free of those entanglements, I guess. Because I think in a lot of ways, we want to find value in the things that we have paid for. There's sort of that investment bias. So if someone calls me up and asks me to do mediumship, it's like, okay, this is a good donation rate if you like feel comfortable with numbers, right. um, but I'm not charging you anything until we're done here. And if you want to go do that, you can do it free of me independently. And I really think that's something we're lacking in the world. And, and I don't, no shame to anybody who's charging fairly for services that they offer. We all have to make a living and your services are worth something. But there is such a high risk factor of emotional abuse and emotional manipulation with that kind of work that it's, it's very important to me to draw very clear boxes around it. I initially reached out to Mortellis and exchanged an email with them and just sort of said, hey, listen to you on my friend's show. Kind of obsessed with it. Really interested in this whole amulet shit you did. Um, I know they just ran you ragged making theirs. Would you ever consider a second one? Because let's be real, me and Shell together are like the perfect chaos engine. So doing <laughs> us back to back almost killed them. Okay, sorry about that. It's not easy. <laughs> you are correct. You know, so I was like, okay. So we just sort of started talking, exchanged some emails. What are you looking for out of this process? What are they willing to give us out of this process? And I thought that exchange was just like they talked about earlier. They mean it. That's we felt each other out before, before we came up with what we were going to do, how much it was going to cost, what materials they were going to use, how long they needed to work on it. And I think if more of these exchanges, just 
everywhere, any kind of business happened that way. It would remind us that money just was a thing that was designed to make exchanging items amongst ourselves or skills easier. Not to hoard, not to steal. It's just a means of exchange. And so having a discussion from a provider to you know, someone who wants to hire you like that is something that just got lost, I think, over time. And I absolutely love that they actually run their business this way. They mean it, guys. I'm a terrible business person, though, because <laughs> I realistically, I, I wish, actually, truly, sincerely wish I could just give away everything I have. But obviously, I have to like pay for printing labels right. and stuff and right shipping boxes and jars to put candles in and all those things. So I try and just like keep everything as slim as possible. And I'm happy when I have a little extra profit or whatever. But particularly with talismans, because I'm usually working with really specialized materials and I don't know what the dead are going to ask of me, which is often convoluted <laughs> and make no sense to me until later, right? It just just like, well, I'm on for the ride. So I have to sort of guess what my materials will cost. I have to guess what my cushion is. I try my best to pile in like 25 to 50 bucks that is like mine. And I inevitably spend it every time. <laughs> 25 to $50. And my yeah. father ran them ragged for a month. I'm pretty sure I got an ulcer drinking terrible beer. Uh <laughs> pretty sure. Here's the thing too. I didn't hire Mortellis to be a medium. That was not part of the agreed process. Like they were going to do their thing. And like, if they needed to do, like they just had carte blanche. I asked for what I wanted, which was basically my life was falling apart. I wanted some fucking peace. I'm at the end of my fucking rope. Um, I'm going through some gender shit. I'm feeling really shitty about that. I just want to feel better. Right. That's it. Didn't put any parameters. Who could show up? Who didn't show up? Kind of hoped Mother Joseph would show up. Kind of knew she wouldn't. She won't even pull tarot cards with me, right? That's, I was like trying not to put any sort of energy towards it other than to, I'm curious who the hell wants to show up and try to help my the mess of my fucking life up. And they're like, yeah, let's do it, right? And I will say, I do try. And when I when I take on a talisman, I ask the person, you know, do you want something you can hang on your wall, wear on your body, put on your altar? We'll start there. Uh, sometimes the spirits do not agree with their choice. <laughs> yeah. And I think I left that open and they were like, the first question that you asked me were, do you ever wear rings? And I typically don't tell people what spirits come forward to work with them. Typically, right. I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's always healthy to tell people. Yeah, interesting. And sometimes it's going to be a stranger. And I also don't necessarily want to interrupt someone's grief process. If it's someone recently deceased, that sort of thing. I'm always thinking about what my ethics surrounding the situation are. But I don't like people to tell me too much about what I'm making. I really want them to be open to whatever comes out. And nothing I've made is ever even remotely similar to the last thing that I made. They're all very unique. Man, I'm hooked. Yeah, right? Like, that's the next... They were like, great! Here comes another one. <laughs> so, so basically, like, we started out... They're, like, asking me about, you know, do you wear rings? So I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, well, other than your wedding ring. And I'm like, well, yeah. I usually wear my father's wedding ring. That was massive. It was a size 12 and a half. And I sized it down to fit on my middle finger. And when I'm feeling kind of lonely, I, I wear it. So I was like, okay, cool. So it was kind of like the first hint of, like, maybe dad might maybe be involved. But like I said, I'd already hired a medium to talk to my father. I hired two different mediums. One that I know was just bullshit and was like, whatever, there goes my money. The second one, they definitely knew what they were doing, right? Like there was no doubt in my mind. So we already had the, I'm sorry I left you with your mom. I should have taken you with me, convo. Like, you know, I thought that that was all like done. Like I still missed him. 
constantly. But that was not anything that I expected. And then he just came crashing right into Mortellus's life. Maybe maybe he realized, oh, we can talk. We- <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, so they got stung by bees when they were out looking for a certain kind of fucking hydrangea that was super important. That was the second thing that came up was hydrangeas. Are hydrangeas mean anything to you? Hmm, yeah, just a little. He didn't even call them that. Hortensia, right? Hortensia, yes. Which is the state flower where he's yeah. from. Yeah, and Alabama. That's what they call them locally. That's what they call them in Alabama and Florida, right? Which is where he grew up. And they got bit by a snake, stung by bees, like all of this <laughs> shit. Shit. And they're cool as a cucumber <laughs> at. It's like, oh, well, you know... Yeah, he's got a little bit of bad boundaries, but I just asked him, was your childhood kind of chaotic? I just asked to show me what it was like. Like, no big deal. I just, you know, and I was just like, are you kidding me? Okay, so here's the, th- here's the thing. First of all, I know there's going to be somebody listening who like does medium shape or whatever, and they're going to be like, Mortellus is terrible at this because they have bad boundaries. So, like, oh, let fuck off, do number one. But I don't always do that. But in certain cases, particularly when I'm working on talismans, but in other instances where I think it can be really useful, I will let a spirit sort of interact through me a little bit, which is generally regarded as bad form. You're not supposed to give them that much autonomy. But I feel like sometimes it helps me understand better. And also it's sort of a gift of agency for them, right? I often ask for a month to work on these talismans, which is a month in which whatever spirit I'm working with has access to my body, the food that I eat, the experiences that I'm having, that sort of those experiences of life. And so long as we keep a good agreement between us about how they're interacting, um, I mean, that's a gift for them. What is your boundary when you're done working on the talisman? When does this, you know, do you set like a boundary? Okay, well, we're going to work on this for a month and then... I get myself back and you go on doing whatever you want to do. I do have a specific boundary. There's a sort of a magical end to each project. I try not to talk about it too much just because I think some magic works better if you don't look at it too much. Right. Yeah. But I've never chosen to work with a spirit on one of these projects that was specifically harmful or difficult. I probably wouldn't. I, I'll never say a flat no because you don't know what's going to come up and be important to someone. But typically, even though we have our, our set boundary and the, the, most of them still visit me once in a while. So, Just a question. Is anybody hearing like every once in a while, like almost sounds? Yeah, there's a frog in here. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? That's a great <laughs> frog. Okay. Yeah, so this one casket has just been pouring them out into my office. It's a little bit down. I'm very sorry about that. No, oh, no. We love it. I we just love frogs. Like, yeah. I'm just like, what am I hearing right now? There are these swampy areas outside of DC. This one child casket got disinterred from an area like that. And uh, ever since I uncrated it, I've just been like finding frogs in here constantly. So sorry. Hmm. <laughs> sorry about it. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the coffins. Yeah. You know, like everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, they're in this for the money. Talk about the Victorian coffin and the nails. Well, I have a few right now. I have three that are in different states of disarray. Um, I acquire them whenever I possibly can because I make things out of them. I'm, I slice them into wood wicks for my candles. I didn't think that was going to work at first. It was a God, weird idea I had. Thing. But yeah, that's it, amazing. It works really well. <laughs> um, go figure. Buy your death candle. She's excited. That excites her. It's coming. <laughs> I'm getting what's coming. <laughs> I always 
found that I don't, I'm I'm a selfish person. I'm horribly selfish. I wrote the book that I wanted to have existed for me at a point in my life. <laughs> I I make the goods that I wish existed somewhere for me to buy. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's nothing wrong at all with people who make, by which I mean manufacture coffin nails. Nothing wrong with it if it works for your magic, as long as you are clear about that and you say that's what you have done. But often I find myself in like a metaphysical shop and they're just labeled coffin nails with no context. And they don't say these are some hardware nails we buried in the cemetery for a month and did rituals with or whatever. They do far more work than me, I think, because I just pull some nails out of a box. Yeah. I, just, like, I just yank them with a hammer. Um, but they got buried. These are all used burial containers. I want people to have access to ethically sourced goods. I don't want people to feel like they have to go out there and grave rub if they're going to do necromancy. It's a meaningful practice. It's very useful to people, but there are ways to do this sort of thing. Caskets wind up in landfills every single day. Uh, When someone is disinterred for forensic reasons or for their body to be moved to another location, they're often reinterred in a new container. Funeral homes use rental caskets before cremation. Those sorts of things. If you have a viewing before a cremation, it's usually a rental casket. So when they're too yucky to use anymore or whatever, I just have feelers out with people I know and they let me know when they come up and sell them to me for probably too much money. <laughs> so that's all that goes. I uh, recently acquired a 300-year-old toe pincher and that one's cool, except it was filled with like decomp sludge. I mean, not sludge. It is like decomp jerky now. It's very old, of course. But my teenage daughter was pulling nails out of it the other day, helping me. And she was like, what are these things that keep popping out of the holes? She picked one up and I was like, oh yeah, that's like, that's meat. (laughs) That's meat that just sort of liquefied and ran into those holes and dried a hundred years ago. Yes, she lost it. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, how did that go over? (laughs) You keep your meat intact. Just another day work with mom. Uh, that's funny. I've got a child's casket on hand right now that I'm, I'm working with. They were buried in 1909 and disinterred in 1921 and reinterred in a different casket. So they spent some time with this one. I've been getting to know them a little bit. They're a little bit puckish. <laughs> I've got a casket that was involved in a crime on hand which has been quite the challenge for me yeah that's one that's been giving you all kinds of problems hasn't it so got them in here day one and it's like well i'm not talking to you but i am throwing things at you lovely thanks sure. why not i get that you're mad but this you know what i have toddlers and you don't frighten me so have your tantrum twin toddlers i do have twin toddlers <laughs> Just like, when you're ready to talk to me Right. Uh, we have a conversation. Well, let's talk more about this book. Because we could listen to Mortellus talk about how amazing yeah. their life is and interesting for the next 17 wow. hours. But we need to talk about their book. Because yes. every library needs to have this book. That's the first thing I'm asking you all to do is call your local libraries. Ask them to carry it. It costs you nothing. This is a book that is meant to be used. Every community should have it. It's meant to be used. They talk about this right in the introduction. And that's part of what makes it so different. Not only good for pagans, but other denominations. I really want that book to be for everyone, truly. And it is, I think. There are even secular funeral rites in there. There are Christian funeral rites in there, even. Yeah. Though they are presented as something that might be chosen by a person who's closeted for everyone. And I really wanted it to be, I mean, not just for pagan people or someone who's dying or funeral planning, but for person who might be attending a funeral as a guest and not know what to expect as a person who 
um, is a death care worker and wants to know how to better serve a family, I mean, you're going to find notes in there about how to prepare the body for any given faith practice. So strap in for that. There's a lot of details, but I did the thing that you're not supposed to do as an author. The one thing you're supposed to do is know what your audience is and write to that audience. And I was like, nah, I want to write to like 15 audiences. Everybody. Yeah. (laughs) But that's what we needed because death happens to everybody. Mm Mm-hmm really don't know why Llewellyn tolerated me for this and my like pages and pages of bibliography and my insane citations. We're glad they did because we all win. We all win. Like and right away, right away, right. Page 34. I couldn't put the book down. You've got right away prep room last rites ritual. Okay. This is right on 34, 35 in the book. You wrote, this is a simple non-denominational act that I often perform with donors or unclaimed individuals who may otherwise not receive services. And it's basically just a simple, beautiful way to begin prepping any sort of dead. The starless sea has borne you on this day and you are become one who knoweth the unknown. That's beautiful. Now, that's that could be adapted for any faith. You know what I mean? That is just one simple, tiny thing from this book that any sort of layperson or death care provider can learn. And the entire book is laid out like this. You've got literally sections blocked out for other providers easily to find. You've got over, was it 50 different spiritual traditions? Yeah, 50. There's far more than 50 rituals in that Druidism book. to Discordianism. All hail yeah. the perfect aired oracle. <laughs> Matt's funerals in this book. Perfectly quaffed. Where could you find that? I'm about to say something that makes no sense at all, but it's about time people took Discordianism seriously. Fuck yes! <laughs> so there are two reasons why I included it. One, this is a real faith practice. Even if its job is to not look like it, that's what it is. And they deserve that space. Everyone deserves a funeral that reflects who they are. Yeah. Number two, and I think Discordians will be totally okay with me using them like this because they were used, but it makes an excellent example of quirky requests that might be faith-based. This is a religious request, even if it's stupid. Yeah, it means something to that person. Right, even if it's just totally something you think is dumb, it could very well be a faith-based request and just like live with that. Yeah. Everyone at the funerals and wedding dresses, okay? Just like live. Yeah, why not? Just as an amusing thing, I was absolutely not a Discordian when I wrote that book, but I am now a member of a cabal. (laughs) I love it. um, I declared myself in the book, jokingly, the Discordian minister of death which now they all refer to me as like I just am that now I guess so I'll hail the Discordian minister of death well see I've been calling you more tell us the Bagan slayer most of my close friends call me the speaker for the silence which I think sounds mm. very serious oh. <laughs> I love, love that. that we're D&D nerds though so it's like yeah That's my thing. But still, all of this. Okay, so you got 50 plus, whatever. And then the ethical will, right? Oh my Mm -hmm. God. That's the other best part of this book. Yeah. The ethical will. I love that. Yeah. 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 I say it in the book, but I want to say it out loud because we don't have that context for listeners. But ethical wills are a practice that's very common in Judaism. So yeah, I wanted people to know, hey, this is something that exists. Like what, you know what you are if you're a witch and maybe your friends do, but what's it going to mean to your great grandkids? Yeah. For they might hear you were a witch, but maybe it's now just couched in like stereotypes and misunderstandings. An ethical will allows you to tell your own story from beyond the grave. And I think that's amazing. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're writing your own obituary. 
You have your own death instructions. You're recording your story, basically. Mm-hmm. And what better way, really, to pass on to your family or to your other loved ones? You know, it's a sad time, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's sad. People are sad and kind of lost. And they don't know what that person might want. And it, it is a lot of angst making those decisions. So perfect. I think it's a great opportunity to reach out to those people who are going to be putting everything in place for you. I was already thinking that this book is probably a big portion of your ethical will. Yes. <laughs> because I know I'm just like, read this book, read this. but I'm serious. It's so important. And I've never read another book like that. If you read Amy Roach's Stiff, which I did and devoured it, loved it, thought it was fascinating. That's good. It's a great book. It's a fantastic book. But if you want to know how to build a coffin too, <laughs> or build a death shroud, you want to know how to do this shit? And you want to know how to do it 50 different ways? You need to buy this book. Pro tips for your listeners. So they, this is something they tell us in mortuary school, but they'll never say to you. But we know from a psychological standpoint that actions help people grieve. Participating helps people grieve. And a lot of people have a lot of fear of death, but really that fear of death is about mourning yourself. So be an active participant and get that fear of death behind you because you will have dispelled it. Yeah. Build your garden, write your obituary, do those things. And then you are the master of that death. Yeah, I believe that. And aside from that, it's sort of like, not only does it dismantle like the white supremacy of it, like, you know, the white Christian God is the one that all funeral services are essentially based on, right? Well, what if you're not a white Christian? You know what I mean? What if what if that's not about you? Then the second thing is, is if you stop making death this like, horror show, spooky, creepy, mysterious thing, you're going to get all the shitty ghost TV, psychic shit off of TV because you're going to take the mystery out of it. Yeah. It's just another thing. People don't realize how pervasive Christianity is in funeral services. And it's down to things that you don't even know to recognize. Like, for example, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to notice, but cemeteries almost always face east so that you can face the resurrection when Christ returns. But did you know that ministers are buried backward in their grave, their feet are at their headstone, so that when they are resurrected, they're facing their congregation? See, that's so interesting, because when I read that in your book, I thought about the Nun Cemetery, and Mojo's head is facing south, and her feet are facing north. It's probably just a quirk of the land. You typically only see oddly oriented cemeteries like that if they just literally couldn't do it a different way. It's interesting because hmm. it's one of the oldest plots around here and it just sort of built up around it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, hmm. When I read that, I thought about how the nuns were, were laid out in that back corner there and like, hmm. Also, nuns are not considered ministers. Right. So they would be, yeah. Yeah. No, they don't count really. Ha ha. Yeah. Well, they didn't. They do now. Right. Oh, they, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. They do now. Absolutely. But that's the point of this book is like it empowers us all. And it, it takes away the woo-woo and the creepiness and reminds us all, basically, stop being assholes. Stop being assholes. These are people. These are families. Yeah. This isn't entertainment. Stop going to crime scenes and pulling tarot cards. Stop going to asylums and yelling at people to turn on flashlights. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop. I have to be honest, since we have discussed all of this in several podcasts, I now completely look at ghost television shows differently completely hot take but i think it's a really white people thing to even remotely consider the fact that it's your right to clear a ghost out of somewhere amen yep don't give a shit if it's your house have a conversation and get to know them 
because yeah. you existed there for exactly like a minute in history. <laughs> um, and that spirit may have far more agency. They may belong there more than you. You're the intruder. Bingo. So, you know, a person calls me like, I need you to clear my house. It's like, well, I will do ghost laying for you. I'll come in and communicate for you. I love that. You call it ghost laying? Ghost laying is sort of like, it's an old school necromancy technique. And you know that story about the Pied Piper? Ghost laying is just where you magically are like, hey, these people kind of suck. Do you want to come with me? And you just take them, out. Take them away from a space. Yeah, I love that. That's why my home is kind of like uh, a halfway house. <laughs> For the record, I don't like the word ghost. I don't use it unless I'm using it colloquially because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, right. Find that word for me. Uh, uh, most people probably say a dead person. But what about spirits of living people? They're out there. Everybody in a coma in a hospital bed is floating around somewhere. Yeah. Uh, what about animals, for example? I prefer the Greek word eidolon because it includes the living or the dead. It is just simply incorporeal beings of humans or animals specifically. So it leaves out things like elemental spirits, deities, and so on. Uh, but it includes the living that are disincarnate from their body, and it includes animals. So I find the word Eidolon far more inclusive than ghost, and it has more of a meaningful definition. I like that. Yeah, me too. You mentioned earlier, too, just how our society tends to sort of avoid death, funerals, shove it away. And I remember specifically as a kid, I lost two people that were very, very dear and close to me, my grandfather and my brother. And as a child, and I was not allowed to go to either funeral. The prevailing wisdom being that, you know, they would spare me from it. And now I have a podcast where I have a whole ass necromancer that I hired on here. <laughs> so what does that tell you about trying to avoid this shit with your weird kids, guys? It makes you hunt it down and crack it open. Yeah. Andrea and I met because we're watching fucking ghost shows and don't know any better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we meet all these people that are like, yeah, that's cool. But you have, have you heard about the real work that's happening? And we're like... Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if we would have known people like you when we were younger, how much wasted time with that bullshit, you know, could have been avoided. Don't oversell me. I'm not that cool. But <laughs> you keep saying that, but it's a lie. <laughs> you were talking about sort of avoidance. One of my favorite things is an account on Instagram called They Didn't Die. They didn't die as an account where a person just collects obituary notices from papers all over the country. And it's just filled with euphemisms that people use instead of saying, this person is fucking dead. Oh, <laughs> they have passed. They have moved on. Renee left for a great fishing trip in the eternal waters <laughs> Sunday, April 5th. At that time of day when the fish are just beginning to bite. That's an actual entry. <laughs> Right, so they are fantastically convoluted in the way they avoid saying someone is dead. <laughs> Why is that yeah. so scary? Would you like to hear my obituary? I would love to. Yes. I change it a little bit here and there over time. I update it. It's in a manila envelope over my desk that says, I fucking died. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Along with all my other papers. Kick the bucket. This is the one. This document is titled, My Obituary, In Case I Get Dead. So... <laughs> In loving memory of myself, I've been a person of many names, but those most dear to me were wife to the man that I loved, mother to my children, witch, and friend. Why am I writing these words? 
because I didn't want anyone saying that I passed on or left or transitioned anywhere. I died. I'm dead. <laughs> I lived a colorful life with precious few regrets, spent largely in the pursuit of knowledge. I wasn't always the easiest person to get close to, but if you managed it, I loved you with all that I was. People said they loved my strength, my honesty, and often those were the things they couldn't stand about me the most as well. There were so many things I was passionate about and how could I possibly share them all? But most of all, I wanted all who knew me to feel changed for the better by us having crossed paths. Death came to be a great calling and I didn't want anyone to approach those dread doors with trepidation. Know that if I have a single thing to say about it, I'll be waiting just on the other side of the veil should you need me and I'll be ready to walk with you into the darkness when your time comes. I was never one for forgiveness. If you were cruel to me in life, don't grieve me in death. For those who are part of my journey, thank you, you had my love. My heart spent its last moment breaking that I had to leave behind my best friend in this lonely world. I loved you with a desperate and fierce kind of love. It burned with such fire that I hope it keeps you warm to the end of your days. To my children, Rhiannon, Soren, and Luna, I loved you with every ounce of my being. I will not say I am survived by my family. I survived them. Don't spare me your tears. Don't spare them yours. To them, I died a long time ago. I do, however, leave behind one sister who tried to make a family with what we were given. And it meant so much that you of all of them took time to see me. And now comes the time for me to say my last goodbye. Death is only the end if you assume the story is about you. Make the rest of the story great. I miss you already. That was a gift. Maybe someday we'll not cry on this podcast, but that's not this day. <sighs> don't say I like, I don't know, ate my last slice of cake or whatever. Oh, yeah. don't, don't euphemism me into my grave. It's... Right. <laughs> Sometimes as creators, we have hard decisions to make and the lines are messy and not fun to draw, but ultimately we are the ones that have to draw them. Mortellus recently appeared on a roundtable discussion with some other witches to discuss the subject of hexing. The host of this panel, author Amy Blackthorne, who is also a personal friend of Mortellus, was booked to appear next as part of our power train on Two Witches, and we were really excited about that. By all accounts, including my own experiences with her so far, we've heard that Amy is a lovely person, but... We had to take her off of the Two Witches podcast schedule for now because of a concern that we have. This concern isn't over Amy's own words or work, but as content creators, we both are concerned about a viewpoint brought up by a guest on her own show during a panel discussing hexing that really bothered us. It bothered us to the point we wanted to make sure to clarify with Amy before we had her on our own show on behalf of our own listeners that as the host of that panel, she didn't advocate what we felt was bad behavior described by a member of this hexing panel that she hosted. Mortellus was also a guest on the same hexing panel, so we were able to personally confirm with Mortellus how they felt right away when we asked them for their thoughts and the fact that we wanted to address this. We were relieved to find out that they also 
very much wanted to clear the air on this subject too. We posed the same question we posed to Mortellus about the hexing panel to Amy also inviting her to talk about some of the challenges like this that we all face as content creators and asking her how she personally felt about the comment that concerned us. We haven't been able to connect with Amy or received any response back from her on this issue since we asked her. So as exciting and valuable as the rest of Amy's work appears to be from everything else we've seen without being able to talk with her about this, here's where we find ourselves right now. Here's SJ's conversation with Mortellus on the subject, and we thank Mortellus for having the energy, courage, and patience to clarify their own views about this issue for us and our listeners. So some things were said that I did not agree with, even remotely. I was pretty uncomfortable with, and um, we were sort of doing a like one person after the other answering questions. I tried not to interrupt too much, but I did disagree here and yawn with some stuff. You tried. You tried real hard. <laughs> I tried real hard. Um, but yeah, I was left pretty uncomfortable with it. And I wound up messaging that person afterward and was like, all right, brass tacks. I need yeah. you to clarify uh, your position. Uh, we had a conversation um, under a promise of confidentiality. And what I took away from that conversation was that we did not see eye to eye on certain issues. Right. Uh, including um, trans inclusivity. Right. That's a big deal for both of us. Yes. And I attempted to clarify whether or not they felt even I had a place in this community as a as a non-binary person. And I did not walk away feeling wholesome. Yeah. But I do not have leave to discuss that conversation. Exactly. Because morality, my integrity is yep. very important to me. No. And we're not out for a witch hunt, quote unquote, or a mob mentality, or like, let's go beat up on the turf, even though there's a turf in our midst. Let's make no mistake. The point is that we asked for some clarification and wanted to have a discussion about how this shit happens. Because make no mistake, before this podcast ever existed, I was on a different show before COVID and they went full COVID isn't real anti-mask. Yikes. To the point where I'm like, you know what? Pull my episode. Um, I want nothing. Like, we just broke up. Like, done. It happens. You know, like, and, you, and we don't expect absolutely everybody that comes on this podcast to agree with everything we say because that is a boring as hell conversation. But at the same time, it was so bothersome to us that I was like, hey, can we talk about this? And then when I got radio silence for two weeks, I kind of couldn't do anything other than just say, well, I guess we can't have you on the show. I will say this, and, and this is, I'm being the devil's advocate and isn't right. that first thing that's sort of the internet meme is like could you just not be the devil devil's advocate but here we are i have like none percent fan base right or whatever that means right. i don't i don't really want it everyone that follows me online i consider a friend or whatever, <laughs> whatever. um but even still i get tons and tons and tons of messages every day on top of tons of messages from like my publisher or people who want to do an interview and it can be really overwhelming Right. And sometimes the only thing I can do is just shut down, yeah. right? Just yeah. not answer them or look at them or deal with them. Totally. And someone I love and know and like went to college with can message me and it will be like miles down in my messages yeah. getting lost. Totally. And I can't imagine what it's like for someone like Amy who like. Try to write a book. Yeah. She has a fan page that has like 200,000 followers and I cannot imagine wow. the messages they get every day. So. Right. Right. It, it might just be lost in the shuffle. But I can't have someone on to talk about protection magic that talks about hexing groups of people on a round table on their show. I just can't. Yeah. 
unless they say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I don't agree with that either. That's it. You know what I mean? Just let's just talk about it. And, and it could be a discussion of it's hard as the stuff you're talking about right now. Your email box never ends. It's who do you invite on like this stupid podcast? I can't tell you how many people want to come on this podcast and trying to just keep track of who said what, who's an asshole, is somebody a secret? You know what I mean? It's impossible. And that's part of the reason I made the links page. I literally have a spreadsheet. If I find out yeah. the jerk, I just put them on my spreadsheet like what kind of jerk they are. Yeah. <laughs> Now I just block them on Twitter and I not even realize why I blocked somebody but like, hmm, I blocked them. So they must have said something really shitty for me to actually block them because I'll fight with people all day long if we disagree and it's no big deal. Right. Unless they go like down the dark path and I'm like, fuck you, you're done. So the awkward conversation of confidentiality, I didn't feel good at the end of it, but we left at sort of a ceasefire. Like, what do you do? We're not going to be friends online and no. I'm not going to support you ever. <laughs> this is not. You're in the same social circle. What do you do? You, you have to you're going to see each other and there's always going to be a situation where like uh, there's an event I love that's near me Mystic South like a great event super cool everyone should go to it the people who run it are awesome everything about it is awesome but it focuses on speakers from a certain part of the world and well I'm new so if I say I'm not comfortable speaking at an event that this person is at I am not going to be the choice they make <laughs> Exactly. Maybe I'm wrong. And that's the problem. And that's why the little fucking podcasts like this one have to all say no. Because if enough of us say no and say, or you know what? Yeah, this person was on and we let it slide and we shouldn't have. And this isn't really what we think. That's the only way that they're going to listen to the other people. Right. That's the only way you get changes for enough of us just go, no, let's not. And I don't know. I guess I'm in a position where it's like, I knew this person had some problematic ideology with zero proof was an issue. Like I had enough clues. Right. The dog whistling is subtle sometimes. Right. And it's clear sometimes that a person makes a purposeful effort to not make public comment. So I was in that sort of boat. And here I am on the panel like, oh, God, this is about to get uncomfortable so quickly. And it did. And uh, I love Evo Dominguez, wonderful person. Love Amy. Uh, but then I'm dealing with some other voices that are uncomfortable. And I'm sorry. I, I don't get on board with someone cut me off in traffic so one day I'm gonna flip out and bash your windows in no because I had to watch the news the other day where someone got frustrated in traffic and killed a little boy by shooting into a vehicle and this is how people die you know and the comment that we had a problem with was that we were discussing about driving by Planned Parenthood and you know throwing out curses to I hope you have a you know premature death the thing is we have both grown up in conservative households and I wasn't the little kid standing outside with my asshole parents but i have friends that were that little kid being dragged there by their asshole parents i was taken to the abortion rally once as a kid so they're driving by wishing you a premature death i remember going to that as a kid and i literally had no idea what it was about you're a child you're a hostage of your parents and their ideology i had like zero concept of what we were even doing so like i get it i would like to light every single one of those people that harass people with uteruses and otherwise going in that building on fire personally i get it 
But using techniques of the oppressor or wishing bad vibes on an entire group of people and throwing that shit out, number one, reinforces bad witch stereotypes. And number two, that's not the kind of magic that I'm interested in ever. My grandma used to tell me when I was little that you catch more flies with honey. And it has always been my experience that by simply being the best kind of person that I know how to be, which again, I fail at often. I have a shitty take now and again. I say a shitty thing now and again. It happens. But you own it. As best we can. And you learn and you move on. You don't just go la la la, nothing and ignore it. Right? Right. But being the best kind of person that I can be has changed more minds than anything else. My spouse jokes all the time that I'm like a converter because our very tiny conservative town just, I'll be in the post office striking up a conversation with the person behind the counter and it'll be like, before the week is out, I bought your book. Before the month is out, it's like, I think I might be vegan. (laughs) See? They don't expect you to be friendly or approachable. No! They expect you to be the asshole in the car going, I curse you. Let's not do that. Let's don't. And I want to be very clear that I think sometimes cursing a person is necessary. Oh, fuck yeah. If you listen to that panel, you heard me talk about what I think necessity is. Yeah, you come for me or mine, it's on. That's still different. Sometimes I don't even mind someone coming for me. I'm much more likely to feel retributive if someone's harming another person yeah i feel that forgive my patriarchal colloquialisms i'm trying to break myself of the mans and bros and dudes god i know we both are it's ridiculous it's everywhere we grow up that way even though we've been fighting against it our whole lives it's like it comes out of your mouth you're like fuck every time i hate it so much i try and say out loud that i messed up because Mm -hmm. that shaming myself is the only way exactly that's why i was like i almost deleted the tweet and i was like no bitch leave it live with it yeah show that this shit is hard Yeah, I fucked up, but I'm going to fix it. (laughs) But yeah, I think those moments are there. And I don't think it's fair to say we should never do things like that because, well, there are a lot of people out there that deserve justice however they can get it. And we live in a world that is unkind. And I think it is very privileged to say, I'm never going to do harm. Absolutely. Sometimes harm is just going to come for you and you're going to have to respond. And well, sometimes then you have to be the worst kind of witch you can be. But I think that's different than someone cutting you off in traffic. Yeah, not even close. You know, and I knew that you felt that way. And our listeners now know you feel that way. And that's it. You know what I mean? Because whoever I have on this show, if Andrew and I are doing our job right, they're going to go out and they're going to go to your website and they're going to buy your book and they're going to look for your most recent wherever you've taught and they're going to find that panel and now they're going to know no that that's not what they think they just happen to be there during a interesting and spirited discussion and kind of went off the rails. Thanks, Martellus, for clearing that all up for us. We're all so busy, it's hard to keep track of everything. Knowing how busy Martellus is, it's easy to see how they ended up on a panel like that and had no idea what they were in for. I'm reminded of a mantra I learned from a wonderful ADHD educator and blogger that we learned about on Twitter named Renee Brooks, better known as Black Girl Lost Keys. If you or someone that you love have ADHD, you need to check out her work immediately. So many of us are grateful to her. Anyway, her magic words that have become a mantra for me are, guard your yes with your life. I love that. Right? That would really be a great tattoo. She makes stickers. They're stickers, t-shirts, like support Renee. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But that's that's it. Guard your yes with your life. 
Yeah, SJ and I both know how hard it is to vet everyone, especially when you're as busy as Mortellus is. My goodness, we all really need to be better about guarding the yeses in our lives. We have to ask hard questions about stuff like this and have the hard conversations. Talk about it when it's happening on our shows and in our social circles. This is the only way it's ever going to end. And when it slides in your own circle... Silence just isn't good enough. Paranormal content like this podcast is a labor of love, blood, sweat, tears, and lost money for most of us that make it, whether we attempt to ever monetize it or not, which is something Two Witches has never attempted, by the way, in case there's any kind of question about that. We do have a Ko-Fi if people feel like throwing a few bucks our way and that's great, but everything is free and it's designed to be that way. Thank you for everyone that's always supported us with that. Websites cost money to host, equipment costs money, Zoom fees. We all have to acknowledge the money-making aspect of this, especially if you're trying to support yourself as a primary means of income in an honest way in this field. As a reader or medium, author or creator in the so-called paranormal field, the current system isn't working for honest people like Mortellus. The ghost bros are the ones getting paid instead. Yep, and we want to change that. And we could do that by ignoring the ghost bros and hyping the people that aren't being jerks instead. I'm really proud of this Power Train lineup. Oh, we've gotten lots of messages from listeners telling us how excited they are about these amazing guests we have had on that maybe haven't been as well known as others in their field of interest before, thanking us for having them on and introducing them to their work. Yeah, and that's about the best feeling in the world, I think. Yeah, that, you know, it's really connection is everything. And when you connect with people that you just get a warm fuzzy about you know it's more than warm fuzzy but you know what I'm talking about yep those messages mean so much to us both they make every single technical goblin and tear we shed all worth it and let me tell you there are technical goblins and tears <laughs> a lot every episode the real change only comes from all of us continuing to support people like Mortellus so they can do their work and choosing to leave behind all the ghost adventures and wraith chasers of the world it's time to tell a new story instead the truth I am surprised by the way that we got through all of this without you asking me about Zach Baggins <laughs> <laughs> I figured if you wanted to talk about it, you would talk about it. Because you are the Bacon Slayer. That is the greatest story I've ever heard in my life. He's a tool. We hate him so much. I really don't hate too many people, but oh my god. His museum would make you puke your guts out. I had the uh, displeasure of meeting him at an event that I had a booth at a, a horror convention. Mm. And I was nobody that nobody cared about and nobody there knew that I was a witch or a medium or any of those things. I'm surprised he didn't try to fuck you, number one. That's honestly, but you know, you're like, no, no comment. Anyway. I made myself extremely unlikable immediately. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he, I heard that's what he does. If you look like vaguely witchy, I hear he goes up and like tries to get you to fuck him. But uh, yeah, I watched that guy sit on, on a panel where he was signing overpriced autographs all day. Or not all day, like three or four hours. And there was this kid there who clearly had a huge crush. My kid huge did crush too. On him. Hmm. I mean, she was just vibrating with excitement in the end of the line. Last yeah. person in the line, this little kid. And uh, their parent could not sway them from the line. Like they wouldn't leave for food, the bathroom. No. They're getting this autograph. It gets to the person before them, an adult, they sign that autograph and just get up to leave. And it's like, dude, you have one person left in line and it is a kid. And this kid starts to cry. They just lose it. Like all their hopes and dreams are tied up in this moment and this it was ruined. That's messed up. And I just shouted out like, you're such a fucking tool. It's, one, it, it's a kid. It's one person. And comes around. He, he just, he leaves. He just leaves. Fucking asshole. Wow. She's broken. 
the mom can't console her. Everything's terrible. I was like, screw this. So I just closed my booth. I guess I'm not making money this weekend at all. So close my booth, go over to the mom. And I was like, could I you know, take her on a tour? I was like, I have a VIP pass because I was invited here as a performer, but um, it's not worth much, but I'll take her around to some things. So we did and we took oral photography and ate crappy food and... I gave that kid a banging face paint. Aww. It was like the coolest little zombie at the whole thing. Hell yes. And we did autographs. I took her to get an autograph from the creepy kid from Children of the Corn, who is now a creepy adult, and from Ernie Hudson and Elvira. Nice. Nice. I've heard Elvira's really lovely. I love Elvira. She's awesome. She totally is awesome. She's so nice. She had breakfast one morning. She was like the nicest. Good to know. We love Elvira. I went into the green room area one morning and she was back there with no makeup on looking like somebody's grandma. Yeah. <laughs> we sat and had coffee and stuff and Ernie's with us. We just like chatted. It was super Amazing. Nice. So Mortellus, that was wonderful that you stuck up for that kid. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. You never know. You know, could have been embarrassed, but as a mom, we're all moms. I think definitely would have would have had some fire coming out of me. Yeah. Knowing you like I do, Andrea, you definitely would have stuck up for that kid. Yeah, I'd been pissed. Yeah. Later that night, I'm in the hotel bar and they're having like a VIP party. So closed off to everyone that didn't have VIP passes. And this jackass comes in. That would be Zach Bacon's again. I was so mad. I was so mad. And I was like, get the fuck out. Just get the fuck out. <laughs> I turned to the bartender who I happen to know. And I was like, you can remove him. Or the police will be removing me. You will be taking him out of here with in- injuries. I am not going to look at this person. Get him the fuck out. They threw him out of the bar. <laughs> and that's why they are called the Bagan Slayer. Sorry, Zach Bagans. You're a fucking asshole. You got booted from the VIP for making little kids cry, which is one of your favorite hobbies. Fuck you, Zach Bagans. Seriously, real talk. There's one person left in line and it's a kid. Come on. You know he did it just to be a fucking asshole. Yeah. There's no other reason. So like two of the other guys from the show, uh, Aaron, and I can't think of the other guy's name. Nick. 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 I hear Nick's pretty cool. They both ragged him as well. Hell yes. I love to hear that. I saw them behind the scenes ragging him about it. They signed autographs for her. They stayed. That gives me life. I love that because John Tenney is friends with Nick Groff. And I've never had a chance to really talk with Tenney about Nick. And Janet Bukowski, who is here in Portland, got to know Aaron a little bit. And they're like, yeah, we don't know how the fuck these guys ended up on that show because they seem like they're pretty solid. They both seem really nice to me. So maybe this is just an anti-Zach Bagan show instead of an anti-Ghost uh-huh. Adventure show. Yeah. They stayed. They signed her autographs and didn't charge her anything. They were really nice to her. Um, they did pictures with her and stuff. So. Is there anything else that you t- we didn't talk about in your book, Mortellus, that you wanted to bring up today? I just want people to know, you know, I'm out there if they need things and I've Got the new bereavement support forums on my website, which only survive and flourish if we all take care of them. So get in there, like sign up on my website and just get in there and listen to people. If they have something to say, share a story, talk about someone in your life who died so that people are encouraged to participate. We need pagan space for things like that. We need neutral space, non-judgmental space. Yes. So yes. Yes. I want that grow and survive and it's free and it just exists so get in there and and you know participate and tell people about it that's huge for me um if you have a copy of my book please review it on amazon that helps me a ton i've sold several thousand copies i llewellyn and yet have 42 reviews i know you people can review this book please (laughs) please do it for me review the book and view the book if you want to support what i'm doing there's my shop 
got donate links and stuff. Those things really directly impact me. Yes. And that's just mortellus.com, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. And I do have a class coming up. And if um, you can't afford to sign up for a class, just message me. No judgment. I'll just respond with a coupon code so that you can fill out your registration. And it's just there for you to do. We love it. What is your class? What's the class on? So this is more of a part two to a class I previously taught about necromantic practice. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of how to put this in your life. Part one is available for streaming on my site. Once again, if you can't afford the little streaming cost, message me or whatever. I imagine this will go up after this class has passed. So both will be available to listen to. Very cool. And check out the Witch With Me book club. We're going to put that info in the show notes too. I'm going to be there. I think Andrea is going to be there. And Mortellus is going to be there telling us all about their excellent book do i have to wear black it's gonna have discussions and videos study guides buy the book see you at book club show up yes i will say not to like be a salesman but you know you have a choice in the book club between my book and some others and i would like to tell you that it's not listed but i made a metric fuck ton of extra content that isn't listed there that you will get access to. So Ooh. metric fuckton, there's that word again. I this know. is the podcast of metric fuckton of synchronicity, according <laughs> to Steph Quick. I love it. Did you know that's an actual measurement? It is now. No, it's like literally an actual measurement. Of course it is. You're brilliant. See, I told you that they're smart. They know everything. A fuckton is a colloquialism for a buttload which is equivalent to 130 gallons. A fuck ton is 130 gallons. Yes. Thank you for that, Bagan Slayer. Ale came in a specific type of cask called a butt. Okay. Which was 108 imperial gallons, which works out to 130 US gallons, which is like 490 something liters. I have to do embalming math all the time, sorry. Right. A butt of wine was 151 US gallons. It was a little more. So it depends on if it's wine or ale. Say different casks. Got it. One of the funniest things that I love is Mother Joseph, one of the last letters that she got from one of her younger nuns that she took with her sister, Blandine, was saying that she was sorry that this ride was over and yada yada, you know, and they were making peace with the fact that she was leaving. And Sister Blandine said, I wish that I was a little bird and I would bring you a donut and a glass of Canadian's finest wine. And I just thought that was the, that's how we got started on the donut thing is as she was dying, her friend said, I wish I could bring you a donut and a glass of wine. So now we know it's 150, 151, was that the number? Mm-hmm. That is a fuck ton of Canadian wine. So that is officially the amount of synchronicities that this podcast now has. Or a buttload. A buttload or a fuck ton, whichever you'd like. She'd probably prefer buttload. Yeah. <laughs> but that's too bad. She's used to my mouth by now. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for everything. Oh, my God. Not only for my father running you crazy for a fucking month, but for coming on the show, for always doing what you do. You truly make your community and all of our communities, Pagans, a better place. Your new book is so good. I can't wait for your next one. Yes. I don't know what it's on, but I'm sure it'll be death. (laughs) Do you want, like, the scoop? Yeah. I'll give two witches the scoop. The scoop. Awesome. Fuck yeah. See what happens? See what happens when you say no turfs on your show? You get the real dirt from the Bagan Slayer. Tell us. I am writing a book about necromantic practice, but I would like you to know it's not written by a bigot in a Halloween font, so that's different than what's out there. Ah! (laughs) That's that's a very specific difference. Um, And it makes no bones, pun intended. 
about here's what's wrong with some of the other modern materials out there. Here's why that's gross and bad. And here's something different. And there's definitely a lot of UPG in there. I'm talking a lot about my personal practice. So it's going to be like, hey, I made this up, but I think maybe you could use it. But there's also a lot of really boring research and stuff that I think will send you down some paths if you want to go find your own thing. I'm very excited about it, and it contains some things you will not find anywhere else, including a full practice, including Sabbath rituals and circle castings and all that stuff. So if you wanted to play your own religion from the ground up, you've got that right there. You could get your own coven of leaves now. And I put a ritual in this book for summoning myself. Not just a disconnected portion of my soul currently while I live, but when I die, there are instructions for summoning me as an avenging spirit should you so need. That is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because I plan on haunting what I call the sniper's nest at the Providence Academy. There's a little, like, above the avant-corps, there's a little, I'm like, I'm going to be there with my sniper's rifle keeping all these ghost bros out of my fucking building after I'm dead. (laughs) My plan is to not go on to any sort of afterlife. Yeah. But to remain to assist people who might need me. So now you're going to be able to call them into your house and be like, hey, hey, Mortalis, hey, what's up? Like, I got some weird shit going on in my house. Let me summon you. Like, how cool is that? While I'm still alive, you can summon up like the trauma busted parts of my soul. They're kind of mad, but they'll, they'll help you. <laughs> can I summon them and just give them a hug? That's what I want to do. Like, just li- <laughs> little Mortalis and little Sarah are, are hugging in the corner somewhere, like flipping off our moms forever. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of friends that happen to be our heroes, like the Bacon Slayer, let us all take a moment to hail none other than the perfect-haired oracle, Matt, my brother in chaos, AP Strange, for absolutely blowing up the misogynists on UFO Twitter this past week. This was just amazing. How did this even get started? Some sexist dude was complaining how females were ruining UFO Twitter with their selfies. Oh boy, was that ever a mistake. You'll try my patience, witch. Oh yeah, that dumb bastard is still probably being tagged in selfies under hashtag UFO Twitter. And some of them, like mine, have a strategic finger raised up to salute you too, champ. You're welcome. Well done, Matt. Well done. No cowards here. We only want to have bacon slayers and shit starters like these fine people here on Two Witches Pod. Two Witches Pod. That's our Twitter handle, by the way. Do you follow us on Twitter yet? Because if you don't, you should. Look, we're telling us we've promoted our own shit. Aren't you proud of us? <laughs> Go us! Yeah! But in all honesty, there are plenty of other weird podcasts out there besides us that are not hosted by racists or turfs out there that you can listen to. But whatever you do, I'm begging you, please do not listen to Mysterious Universe. They are the absolute worst. No, don't just take our word for it. Stephanie, quick wrote a wonderful open letter to Mysterious Universe. A link for that is on the episode 18 show notes, and you can visit the recommended links page of brickmojo.net for some of our favorite weird content. Boom, that's two self-plugs this episode. Look at us. You know, thinking about it, all of those other podcasts and shows we love probably all swear way less than we do. Don't half-wit bunglers! Idiots, you meatheads, you pathetic pair of pitiful pinheads. That's absolutely fucking true, but they probably don't have stories about old hidden brick buildings that are haunted by ghost rats either. Oh, ghost rats? (laughs) That's right, I said what I said. We're taking a break after the next episode. A little hiatus. We're a little tired, fam, right? (sighs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I'm going to travel. 
to curse not only Detroit, but also Michigan Paracon with some help from our friend Janice Click! No! You dense, irritating, miniature beast of burden! Oh, God. Oh, oh Michigan. <laughs> Michigan, you really, truly have no idea what's about to happen. He said be an 18 and a half pound box of things to curse you with. Bye. Damn big man. It's going down. But before that, I will share with everyone the absolutely true tale of the ghost rats of the Providence Academy. What? Okay. <laughs> it's an awesome story that actually fits right in with the rest of this ridiculous podcast. No rules, chaos only. That's our whole brand, I guess. That and a metric fuckton of synchronicities. <laughs> metric fuckton. Thank you again to Martellus for that little nugget for coming to talk with two witches and everything else you do. This was certainly a recording session. Neither SJ nor I will ever forget. That's an understatement to say the least. See what happens when you hang out with the Bagan Slayer? Actual magic. I told you you were going to love them, Andrea. I love them. I love them. They have pure heart. Absolutely. This is exactly why we both love Martellus and you should too. Pick up a copy of their book, Do I Have to Wear Black? at your library or favorite bookstore and check out mortellus.com to connect with them. We hope to see you at Witch With Me's book club soon too in July. Book club! Yay! It will be just getting started when this episode is released, so check the show notes for the link to join us. Join us! Join us! Join us! One of us! Yeah. Join us at <laughs> No book pressure. Club. No. Next episode, we'll wrap up the first leg of what we call the Two Witches Powertrain and fill you in on what's next for season two. Until then, really... Take care of yourselves. And don't be an asshole. You may be made of stardust, but so is garbage. So maybe don't get too excited about it. <laughs>